Welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast, where we interview location-independent entrepreneurs that travel the world like a boss by being their own boss. Here's your host, Johnny FD. Hey guys, it's Johnny, and welcome to episode 211 of the Travel Like a Boss podcast. Before we get started, I wanted to give a quick shout-out to this week's sponsor, Printful. They're an on-demand printing service. Tell you a bit more about them during the break, but you can check out printful.com. Hey, hey, Sean. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Johnny. Glad to be here. So if you guys recognize that uh, smug, beautiful face, <laughs> handsome face, uh, or that voice, uh, Sean was on episode 150 of the podcast, and it was about travel photography, but a lot has changed since then, hasn't it? A lot has changed since then. Yeah, my business has completely transformed, I'd say. Yeah, it's funny because well, first you're wearing a, like a Rolex. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's just a it's a psycho. Psycho. Okay, psycho. Yeah, nice watches. Thank you. Um, but it's crazy because you're. I mean, you're still technically a photographer, right? But that's not really how you're living anymore, right? Not really. I mean, it, kind of. It, this is we were talking about this yesterday. How I'm not really sure what to call myself because I am a photographer. I identify as a photographer, but now. Most of my income is coming through my online courses and through Instagram sponsorships and, and things like that. So how do I identify myself? So I actually noticed the kind of transition almost where mm. you've always posted really nice photos. Your Instagram always had a lot of likes. And then you started producing these like really cinematic behind the scene like photo shoots or just having kind of showing what it what it actually looks like to take photos mm-hmm. was that all planned out like how like it, it almost seems like it was either perfectly planned or it just kind of like how did it all happen like the video stuff yeah i mean like would, like did you sit down one day and say did you decide okay i want to switch my income from a service based business where i'm trading time for money you know taking photos and mm-hmm. editing to something kind of more, I guess, more online or more passive? Yeah. I think being here in Chiang Mai and, and online courses are kind of a hot topic. And um, I knew I had skills to share, but I didn't think, I wasn't very confident. One of my buddies, one of my best friends, Jesse, he's like, Sean, you need to teach. You're charismatic. You have so much knowledge. And even if you don't think that you're the best photographer in the world, you are better than somebody else and you have something to teach. And that gave me the confidence to do my first course. My first course was, was kind of garbage, um, but it did okay. Made a couple hundred dollars in the first month and, you know, still making a couple hundred dollars every month. But then I continued to, to produce courses and it was like, after I started making money through that, I was so, I d- didn't want to do service-based business anymore. I, client work can be stressful as you know, and it's just wasn't really feeling it anymore. Yeah, I, I can see that, especially because I can tell you're very passionate about photography, I also know working with clients is hard. It's hard. It's tough. It, yeah. And it can kind of drain the passion or the love of a hobby for sure. out of it, right? For sure. And one of the things that I'm grateful for now is you know, that I'm making money online is I can pick and choose. And I'll only work with clients that I am that I want to work with from you know a personal standpoint, like, oh, this person's cool, but also I'm inspired by their project. And I, and I'm, I want to create something beautiful for them because I'm passionate about that. So- uh, I actually recently got into photography about my first camera, and you were part of the inspiration. Kind of seeing, you know, you take photos of not only at the Nomad Summit, mm-hmm. uh, but also at events around Chiang Mai. But also, I had you take some headshots for me, kind of just used for my, you know, I need to need some more, more profile photos. That's right. 
you know, maybe, maybe it was on my Tinder for a while, <laughs> but I just needed photos. And I was like, this is really fun, you know, going around, taking cool photos. Yeah, yeah. And I realized then that as good as I can get with my iPhone, and even though iPhones and, you know, smartphones in general are getting better and better, mm-hmm. and now there's things like portrait mode, mm-hmm. having an actual dedicated professional camera, whether it's a DSLR or mirrorless, it's always going to be better. Right. And I, and I think part of that is, yes, the quality, but also like when you have a, another physical camera, you're separating your social life and your, your art, the camera. Because on a phone, it's like the cameras are great, but you're getting text messages. Like you, you can't separate the two. You know what I mean? So it's like when you have a dedicated camera, you can kind of really focus on photography with that. And yeah, I guess that makes sense. And also the – I don't know. I, I almost feel like when I have – a real camera in my hand, like the world takes me more seriously. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, like I did a, uh, I had some friends, they, they were having, they were designing a, uh, a yoga like retreat and they needed some photos taken. Mm-hmm. And I said, Oh yeah, I'll, I'll take a few. Like it'd be fun. And I, I was, I, t- t- I took a bunch of photos with my iPhone and as good as possible. Yeah. But the whole time, it kind of just felt like I was really limited. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much I couldn't do. You know, I can take a couple good photos, and then I'm like, okay, well, I want to do it from this angle. I want to do it from this far away. Right. I want to do it from here, and I just couldn't do it. They all, all the photos end up looking kind they're of the same. The, they're all the same. Yeah. You, you, there's no varying focal lengths on, on an iPhone or something. I mean, you have portrait mode, so you have a 50-millimeter lens, and then you have like a wide-angle lens, and that's it. So when I'm shooting events and stuff, like I get a wide range of shots. I get super wide shots. I get close, detailed shots that kind of help tell that story and just a variety of different things. Yeah, and the the moment I really regretted not having a a real camera with like different lenses, or at least a a lens with like a, in in that case a longer longer zoom, mm-hmm. was I was in Nepal. I was oh, trekking. Yeah, and I think just taking like um you know, like a wide shot of the mountains. It was fine on my phone. But what I really wanted to take photos of were like people in the villages Yeah, that were sitting and they were just kind of living their life. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to walk up to, you know, five feet in front of them and take a photo because they notice it and it kind of messes it up. Right, right. But when I could see them from kind of far away, I was like, I wish I could just zoom in, capture this capture that really like authentic moment right and then be able to share this you know, with my friends back home or on my facebook mm-hmm. or even just look at it later and be like oh i remember that i remember you know how people really were it's a lot easier to do that with a zoom lens yeah and it, it's it can be super uncomfortable to walk up to somebody with a wide angle lens and be like hey can i take your picture because you're super close to them like with a 35 millimeter you're like up in their face and it can be kind of an awkward moment for you and for them. You know? Yeah. So, and if nothing else, I mean, even if they were okay with it, it takes away that moment of right. authenticity. It does. Yeah, it does. Like they're, they're, they're aware of you and they're, they start posing or they start acting in a way that they wouldn't act. Yeah. Yeah. So I almost kind of feel like, um, I don't know, like what, what do you call those people that kind of like, you know, you're like a voyeur or something. Yeah, 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 a voyeur. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> zooming in and I'm just taking pictures and I'm just capturing, you know, people. Like, you know, I, I guess it's a real discipline. It's called like street photography, yeah, right? Yeah. But it is kind of like exciting. I mean, like, like yeah, like I'm capturing these moments of laughter or someone eating ice cream mm-hmm. or like, you know, a kid playing or a pigeon flying or something. Just like these seemingly everyday scenes, yeah. but you're capturing them in a beautiful way that tells a story about 
that person and where they're from and, and all of that. Yeah. And it's super fun. You know, and I started, I started taking a lot of photos at events, mm-hmm. went on the Nomad cruise, took a ton of photos in Greece. And then when I was in Ukraine, I was taking photos at this like boat party. And I remember sharing the photos in the group. And there was one couple that contacted me after and said, hey, I really liked the photos you took of us. That's right. I remember reading this post. Yeah. I, I saw that. And they said, you know, can we pay you to do a photo session with us? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that I was busy or anything. I, I, I honestly didn't have that much to do that week. I just really didn't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Part of it was I felt a little bit like, you know, I guess people call it imposter syndrome when you're right. first starting out and you're not sure if you should be taking money for something. You're not sure what you should charge, how much yeah. you should value. But a big part of it was honestly, I just didn't want to do it. It felt like work all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of me being excited to take out my camera and go, you know, and just kind of capture like the moment. Yeah. I felt like, okay, now I got to spend an hour with them kind of posing. There's trying stress to involved. And yeah. It's just, I, I totally understand what you're saying. It's just yeah. a whole different vibe. Yeah. And then I have to go home and I have to edit them and, you know, like, then, you know, they have to choose the ones they want. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, it seemed like, it honestly just felt like a job. And I, instead, I referred them to a local photographer who, first off, I felt, you know, better about it because, mm-hmm. you know, she, she got a gig and I know she right. made the money. And then second, you know, she, this is what she does. You know, this is like her actual, she's a pro her living. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it also made me decide. I don't think I ever want to shoot for cl- like for clients. Mm-hmm. I I would I will always shoot for f- because I want to. Yeah. I'll probably continue bringing my my camera to events because I like doing it. Yeah. But then, kind of almost kind of bypassing the service side that that you had mentioned, I can see why you don't want to do it f- forever. Yeah, it's just it causes unneeded stress, and I think for me, I'm at the point where like. I, I'm not against client work. I'm 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 still interested in doing client work, but there's varying levels of client work. So when I first started out as a as a portrait photographer, that was mostly what I was doing: portrait photography, product photography, and a little bit of like weddings and events and stuff. But portrait photography was my bread and butter. It was all like micro individual level. You know, it was like I meet my clients. You know, we discuss the terms. We do the photo shoot just one on one, and that's great. And it's it's that's cool because you can you know get to know somebody, but when it comes to like shooting and shooting products and stuff, um, people can be very picky about what they want. And a lot of the, in my experience, a lot of people that were looking for photos, um, they're kind of penny pinchers, so they're not willing to spend a lot of money. And you know it takes a lot of work on on my side, and um, I'm just not really interested in doing that anymore client work that I am interested in doing is shooting for larger brands where there's a stylist on hand, you know, there's, there's different people on set doing different jobs and you only have to focus on one thing. And that is, you know, making sure the lighting is good uh, and capturing the scene in your camera. And I'm confident in doing that. Now I've been a photographer for a few years now and I've done a few of those shoots, you know, where there's a producer and those are so much easier because everything is taken care of and you just show up and do one job. You don't have to do everything like a lot of these other smaller jobs. Yeah, I can see that. Or even like first off, you have to be the, the logistics person. Right. And then That's the have, hardest part. You can plan the time to meet. They're probably going to be late, especially right. if they're a model. And then you have to like – they ask you like, like what should I wear? Then you have to be their stylist. Right. And then you have to pick the venues. And then you have to be the transport as well right. because you know, how are you going to get from venue to venue? 
have to be the timekeeper. You have to be the photographer. You have to be. Yeah. Then you know, and then you then you have all this time at the back of, of the actual editing, which takes way longer sometimes. It does, and it, it it takes a long time, especially with yeah people people can be very picky, and I find with these larger shoots uh, that I've done before is you you're in charge of the basic editing, um, and then they'll have another editor come in and, and make the smaller changes if they if they so please. Okay, to like. To just touch it up and really mm-hmm. blow it out. Like the Photoshop experts and stuff. At first, you know, honestly, in the beginning, I was really against editing. Mm-hmm. At first off, it was out of laziness. Right. And then second, I was thinking, you know, if we can't, you know, like it's unrealistic. Like, right. you know, when, you know, when you, when you, I guess there's, I guess now I know there's different types of editing. Yeah. One is, you know, editing as in like, you know, please make me look 20 pounds thinner, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, clear up my acne. Yeah. You know, and then there's the, but then, so like, I still don't like the, that super touched up look. Right. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I don't, you know, I don't like the trend that everything's a filter now. Mm. Like that people just like, you can't even recognize somebody, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. my mom sent me a, a photo with a filter and she loves it because it makes her look like she's, you know, 30 years old, <laughs> you know, or maybe even 21. But I'm like, I was like, I don't want to see this. Like, yeah, this doesn't look like my mom at all. Strange, you know? yeah. And I think it's it's actually unhealthy for people to not like. There's a lot of people who are so afraid of people seeing the the way they actually are, even though people don't realize we see the way that they are all the time. And it's only people that don't know you that that shouldn't matter that will judge you based on your one profile photo or your one photo a day you, you upload on Instagram that's perfect all the time. Yeah. Versus, you know, someone seeing you in real life, they accept, you know, your flaws, but they also appreciate kind of the natural parts the of you. The natural parts of you, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think editing can definitely get out of hand. And it can... When I, when I see, you know, someone's Instagram page and they have all these photos that are just... You know, crazily edited. I mean, it's just not something I'm really interested in. With that said, you know, as a photographer, editing is central to to my business, and I take a lot of time to edit. And I think editing is where you can really hone in on your own specific style. So when I I basically have this this mindset, there's three things that comprise a photograph. There's the lighting, the styling, or the uh, the content in the photo, and um, composition. Right. So when it comes to uh, the styling. And the lighting and the composition, all three of these things are affected by editing. And editing is the one thing that kind of brings them all together at the end and creates that consistent look. Um, so like what I always tell people is just on, on Instagram is just to choose one filter and use that for every single photo and learn it and understand the color scheme and understand the tones and kind of go from there. Yeah, I, I, I definitely see that. And I've noticed that with professional you know, Instagram pages, mm-hmm. uh, or if I look at your Instagram page, you can tell, even though the photos are taken in different places or sometimes even different countries, they all look like they, they tell one story or right. they're just like one, like they, they all kind of match somehow. Yeah. That, that's, that's what I call visual consistency. And I have one of my most popular courses on Skillshare. Um, I have about 12,000 students now is becoming an Instagram influencer. I mean, one of the sections in there I have, I'm discussing theme an Instagram theme and, um, breaking that down, what that means and you know how to have a more consistent theme. And what I mean by theme is like when you go to someone's Instagram page, right? You can see about nine photos. And if all of those photos aren't focusing around one specific thing, you're not really going to follow them unless they're like a celebrity or something like that. Right. 
But if you have a theme on your page, you're much you're much more inclined um, to be followed, and you're going to follow other people with themes, right? So that visual consistency is when you go to someone's page, you see those nine photos. If they all look kind of similar, then you're like, okay, this person knows what they're doing. This person has a style that I like, and and you know that if you follow them, you're going to be seeing photos like that. Yeah, that that definitely makes sense because when I go to someone's page and the photos are kind of all over the place, maybe the last photo they you know, they happen to upload. I like, so I might click into that, mm-hmm. but then I'll click into the rest of it. I'm like, Oh, doesn't like, inspire me. Yeah. Or it's, yeah. Just, it's not even what I thought this page would be. And then I end up just leaving and, and never seeing it again. Right. Versus like, I guess the classic example that everybody knows is like the follow me to like mm-hmm. the, the photos. And I'm sure you guys have seen it. It's usually somewhere, somewhere in the world, kind of like a beautiful backdrop. There's a, a woman right, who's looking front she has her hand back and you just see the guy's hand and it looks like he's taking a photo with, you know, holding a camera, taking a photo. He has his hand out. She's reaching back. I was actually a little bit disappointed when I saw, and at first I thought I was, I loved it because I love the concept of it. And so to be, so I guess to be fair, I followed it right away because it had that visual consistency. All the photos, even though there are different places in the world, they had the theme of not only the, you know, like, the hand-holding, but also their travel, travel-themed. And then quality-wise, they're all edited kind of to the same style. So I knew exactly the type of photos I would end up seeing every day if I followed right. them. And that's why they have, you know, who knows how many millions, millions of followers now. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that is a perfect example of just pure consistency. And consistently beautiful photos, absolutely gorgeous, and consistently the same style. And, and those are the two factors, you know, quality and, and style. And um, there's a lot of pages like that. And that's one thing that I really focus on is on my page is like to make sure that every photo looks good next next to the other one. And Instagram has become an integral part of my business. And that's why I'm spending, you know, so much time talking about it is I make a lot of my money now through marketing on Instagram. You know, what's crazy is it's like it, it it's almost like this world we live in where you people either make zero from the Instagram or they make a lot, you know, yeah. like it's kind of like there's almost, there's almost nothing in between. There's nobody in the world that makes like 50 bucks a month from the Instagram. <laughs> you know, it's like you either make nothing, you know, and it's kind of just a, a social tool or uh-huh. where you're trying, you know, or people are, are successful with it. And it, it's, it's a very, very fine line. I feel like, I think so. I think so. Um, I think it just depends on, on whether you have your own product, right? So I make, from sponsorships and things like that, maybe you know a thousand dollars a month. Maybe some months I don't I don't make any. I just don't have any brand deals. Given that I'm I'm not really focused on that. So, um, but I make more money selling my presets, which I market fully through Instagram, and that's about you know a thousand two thousand dollars a month. So, so how do you actually market through Instagram? Is it through the stories or through, through the stories? Okay. I find that marketing on the the actual posts doesn't do so much. But the posts, you know, bring people to your profile. So you post every day, consistent photos, and then you bring them to their profile. They follow you. And then I'm very active on my story. I post my day. I'm very personal. I kind of show who I am. Um, and then I'll, I'll leave, you know, offers on my story. And if you have over 10,000 followers on Instagram, you can do a swipe up um, and they, they can get directed to, you know, whatever you're selling. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, if people want to check out your Instagram, what's the handle? Um, at Sean Dalt, S-E-A-N-D-A-L-T. 
Okay. Yeah, very cool. So follow uh, at Sean Dalt on Instagram. I guess while you're at it, might as well follow me too. It's Johnny FDK. Yeah, I don't think I've ever mentioned my my Instagram on. I don't think so. Huh? <laughs> I love it. I have it, but I never really thought of it as a business tool. And I'm probably the worst example. So if you guys want to see an example of someone that should have a lot of followers but doesn't, it'd be mine because <laughs> it's not consistent. Like, I'll pull it up right now. I bet you. Like, you can tell me 20 things that are wrong with it right now. <laughs> Actually, I think that'd be fun. Let's break it down. Yeah, yeah. pull up Johnny FDK on your phone if you have internet. And maybe you guys can follow along when you got, if you guys are uh, watching this at home or listening to this near near your phone. Tell me, kind of just based on what we talked about, what are some things that I could be doing different? Like, what are, what are the, the downsides? Okay, I'm looking at this now and... Um... So first off, I I like the profile picture. It's to you. I think it could be a little bit higher quality. Okay. Um, but I like the bio. Bio's good. You got your link in there. But going going into the feed, yeah, I see all over the place. It, right? it, it's just it's just another personal feed. It's just another feed. Any normal kind of person. With that said, I mean it's very interesting. Like everything that you're doing is interesting. Like you know you're traveling and like you're doing really cool stuff. Like. So it's not it's not the same as like anyone's personal feed, but in terms of like the image quality mm-hmm. and the overall theme, it, it's just kind of like. But but, you, but you're you're kind of different. So you're somebody that has like a large following, right? So like you, yeah, but I think that being said, like even with that, I'm not doing my Instagram well, right? Because if I did the things that I should be doing, it should be way bigger. I think there's there's exceptions though. So you see like celebrities, they post garbage, man. They they post horrible photos there's no consistent quality but it doesn't matter because people are so interested in their lives mm. it doesn't matter what they post right that's their their personal brand is so freaking strong it doesn't matter um and i think you know you have you have five five thousand four hundred followers and and that's because you know you like i said you're you're in the public sphere you have a lot of you have a big following on, on many different platforms um but now i know i need to get to ten thousand phone on a certain link right and that's it's great. Inserting that link is, is a huge tool. Yeah, I can imagine because right now I have to tell people, I'm like, link is in my bio. Yeah, and it just <laughs> it, or it's like not go, great. You know, go, to, go to Safari and type in. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's much harder, right? Yeah, yeah. Much different. So like, like how do new people find you? So I, I'm, I post a few different ways. I post every single day on Instagram, okay? And that... Sometimes gives me, you know, sometimes the posts do really well. They get 8,000 8, likes, 9,000 likes, and I'll get a lot of followers from there. Oftentimes they won't do as well. Um, another way they find me, I, I have a YouTube channel. I'm not that active on it, but some people find me through there. Um, and then on Skillshare now, I'm actually getting a lot of new followers. Yeah, so tell me about that. So uh, Skillshare is an online course platform. Right. Is it, like, what's the difference, I guess... Like probably the more the more famous one that people think about is maybe Udemy. Udemy, where people go on, they can buy courses a la carte. Mm-hmm. They, they're priced anywhere between you know ten, twenty, thirty bucks. Sometimes right. they're more full priced, but they, they seem like they always have a sale. Mm-hmm. Is Skillshare the same model, or is it a monthly subscription model? It's a monthly subscription model, and what I like about that is there's such less of a barrier to entry. So you know they're paying fifteen dollars a month, and they get access to every single course on the platform. And I know whenever I tell people that, they, they say, how the hell do you make money? And I can tell you that I'm making more money than most teachers on Udemy. Because if you can make it on Skillshare, you don't even have to market. 
the Skillshare markets everything for you. So so it's almost like the Netflix of online courses. Exactly. That's what it is. And you basically get paid based on how many minutes are watched. Wow. So that encourages people to have high-quality courses that are engaging. Right. High-quality courses that are engaging and authentic. And I think the main focus of Skillshare is it's there's it's not scammy. I think on, on Udemy, there's a lot of kind of weird business kind of courses. There's a lot of great courses on Udemy. Skillshare is more focused around creatives, um, branding. Uh, there is room for business. Business marketing is certainly on the platform, but I think the majority of the platform is focused around creativity. Yeah, I think part of that has, has just has to do with the pricing model, where I think on Udemy, if you created a course that had good content, but it wasn't very like exciting, you mm-hmm. know, like wasn't like it wasn't a. It was more like you know, like for example, a course that kind of is like. You know more things that you should know, but it's not going to make you money. People aren't really going to be excited to pay money and buy that course a la carte in Udemy. Right. But if you already had access to everything, you know, and you're like, okay, well, this is something a core a core concept that I should learn that would build, you know, make me better or make my business better. Then you're like, oh, it's free anyways. I might as well watch it. Right. And and I think actually people on Skillshare have fairly low expectations for courses. Um, because they're not like, you know, when you buy a course, when you spend $100 on a course, you're like, I better get my money's worth. You know what I mean? And it's like, if I don't get my money's worth, I'm going to be pissed. But on Skillshare is if you don't like the course, it's like, oh, okay, whatever. I'll just yeah. move on to the next one. It's like watching a Netflix show. And <laughs> exactly. After half a, you know, half the first episode, you just... doesn't matter. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, my first few courses weren't that good. Um, but as I've gone on, they've gotten, you know, much better. And Yeah, so tell me, like, what, what do you think you could have... I mean, I guess it was either way. It was a lesson learned, right? Mm-hmm. But what do you think made the first course not as good? Just, just, um, I would say audiovisual quality. It just wasn't very good, okay. um, and it just seemed kind of you know cheesy. I've gotten so much better since then. Um, so, yeah. how many courses do you have total now? I just filmed my eighth course yesterday. Wow! So I have seven live, and okay. I just filmed my eighth course yesterday. Hey, travel bosses, want to take a quick break and thank our sponsor. Start your own online business with Printful, our sponsor for this week's podcast. They make it easy to launch an online clothing brand by printing and shipping products for you on demand. Simply connect Printful to an e-commerce platform, upload your designs on more than 150 products, and start selling. No subscription fees, no need to buy bulk inventory, Start selling and sign up now on printful.com. That's P-R-I-N-T-F-U-L.com. So big thanks again and check them out. They're pretty cool. There's no minimums. There's a ton of people already selling on there. They take care of the printing, the shipping, and you can print on demand, not only on clothing, but things like mugs, home accessories, pillows. They take care of all that for you. So check them out, printful.com. Back to the show. So as a – let's say someone wants to be an instructor on Skillshare. Do they have to apply to get on? Do they have to pay to, pay to get on? How does it work? No. So you don't you didn't have to pay to be a teacher. I mean you can just go on and, and publish a course. And um, I think you know one of the things I would recommend is that button-up shirt in front of a green screen, that doesn't work on, on Skillshare. It has to be tasteful. <laughs> like people are people are artists and – they're creatives, and even if they are focusing on business, 
they still want to see that you're a normal person and not just like some guy trying to sell them something. So be as real and as authentic as possible. Um, and that's the best recommendation I have for teaching on Skillshare. Okay, nice. And how do they do, like, what is the, I mean, you, you get paid like per minute watch? Like, per like do you know watched. what the, the price breakdown is? So it depends because um, it depends on how many minutes are watched like on the entire platform every month. There was a figure, a rough figure, but I forgot what it was. It was like point three or point five cents per minute or something like that. Okay. Um, doesn't sound like a lot, but I'm I'm doing over you know hundred twenty thousand minutes per month. So I mean, it's really starting to add up. So so when you first started that first month, when you had you know your first course, mm-hmm. how much did you make that month? Do you remember? It was like two hundred bucks, two hundred. That's still bucks. good, right? Yeah, yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> this this course isn't even good. And that was my first course. And that course today only has about 1,300 students. What's that course called? Uh, Cafe Photography for Instagram. Okay. How did you come up with that topic? Um, I, I got really heavily involved in the uh, the coffee and cafe community here in Chiang Mai. And I was shooting with a lot of Thai photographers. And uh, we would shoot cafe photos, coffee, you know, little desserts and stuff. Because it was easy for us to create content. You know, we could create content every day. It was fun. We could just go to the cafes, hang out, drink coffee, whatever. You know, it was, it was fun. And for those who don't know, Chiang Mai has some of the best coffee shop culture in the world. We have a ton of coffee shops. I mean, do you know how many like we have? Dude, uh, hundreds. Hundreds. I think that just in this neighborhood, in the kind of the Neiman Heyman neighborhood, which is half a square mile, so like one square kilometer, I want to estimate there's maybe... Forty to fifty coffee I would shops, say, yeah, for sure. In like a walkable distance, yeah. It's so crazy. it's 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 weird. It's like the the coffee culture in Chiang Mai stems from from Melbourne, right? Melbourne's the coffee capital of the world. So there's a Thai there was a Thai person, a couple or something that went to a study in Melbourne, and they fell in love with it. So they came to Chiang Mai and they opened up this little cafe called Usa A U S S A, and it's a little bit outside the city. And that just ignited the coffee community in China. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And now, so it's very like, you know, it's focusing around high quality coffee. And there's a lot of places that are still struggling to do that, but there's a lot of really good coffee as well. How long ago was that, do you know? Um, Not that long ago. Like maybe like, I would say probably around the time that you got here. What was that, like wow. five years ago or something? Yeah, that's cr- something I, like I got that. here the perfect time then. Yeah. So before that, I think it was only like Huawei coffee. Like that's all they had, like... That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, because Thailand, it's a weird place where coffee is either Nescafe instant coffee, yeah. which is so <laughs> terrible. I hate it. This is wretched, dude. Yeah. Or it's really, really good, you know, like coffee shops, like these like yeah. Melbourne kind of style coffee shops. And yeah. I've been to coffee shops around the world now, you know, around the US, San Francisco, LA, New York. Mm-hmm. I've been, you know, all over Europe. I've been to Australia. And I would say... That not only is Chiang Mai's coffee like either just as good or better, sometimes often better. It's way cheaper too. It is super cheap, and and they they take their their coffee here pretty serious. Like I know some of the baristas here, and they they go to these like Thailand championships, no, like world championships. Like I know this this woman who's famous in Thailand because she's like a barista, like world champion latte art something. I don't even know exactly what it is, but she's you know talented. Yeah, I know that uh, Restrato, mm-hmm. that was, in 2013 when I was here, that was one of the few kind of, you know, really established 
good coffee shops. Right. Now that's a lot of them, but they won world latte art competitions like Multiple many years. Times. Yeah. And their coffee is super very, good. very good. It's really good. Yeah. But another good thing, and I don't know if this started before or during the same time, but Chiang Mai grows his own beans. So we have local yeah. Thai beans and they're really good. That's right. Like just outside the city or and up north in Chiang Rai yeah, as I well. Yeah, I think there are a lot of them. Yeah, or like Chiang Dao, which is Chiang close Dao. by too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're good coffee beans. And then they roast it you know, locally in Chiang Mai. Yeah. And then they have these, this great coffee shop culture. It just it all works out. It all works out. I love the coffee culture here. And, and you know, my, my Instagram is like focused around that. So if you guys want to know coffee shops, you know, not only in Chiang Mai, but anywhere where I'm traveling, I go cafe, coffee shop hopping. So I photograph just different cafes around the world. So if you guys want to see that, you can check out my Instagram. I have so many pictures of cafes here in, in Chiang Mai. So you can kind of follow that as a guide as to where to go and you know find some cool working spots and stuff like that. So I, I guess just kind of off the top of your head, because um, there's, I'm sure there's different coffee shops you like for different reasons. Right, right, right. right. So like, which one would, would be your favorite Like, if you wanted just to read a book? Oh wow! Read a book. Um, so I like I like comfortable. So right now, <laughs> uh, there's so many men. I really like this one called um, oh, what's it called? Cotton Tree Cafe, and that's kind of behind Maya Mall. Nice, quiet little place. Um, you know, nice light in there. I love that. I love um, the Baristro at Ping River. It's a new one. It's right on the river. It's amazing. It's huge, man. It's an establishment. Like they bought a house, and the owner is my my good friend. He bought a freaking house on the river and transformed it into like this two story cafe. If you're listening to this and you and you're in Chiang Mai and you haven't been to the Baristro at Ping River, you seriously need to go over there because it is incredible. Okay. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's check it out. It's amazing, dude. Yeah, and if anything, uh, if you guys haven't joined the Facebook group, it's Travel Like a Boss Army on Facebook. Maybe you guys can get together and have a uh, meet up there. Yeah, that's a great place. It's it's big, so there's plenty of room, and yeah, you can go yeah. sit out by the river. And... I like it. What are some of the most Instagram worthy coffee shops? My favorite is this one that not many people know about. It's called Kaji K H A G E E. It is a Japanese style, like minimal style cafe, kind of by. The bridge, uh, is it called Nadawat Bridge? Okay. Over there, like, um, and it's uh, it's kind of muted tones inside, but the lighting in the afternoon is just amazing, man. It just pours in through the window, and it just looks incredible. That's my favorite place in Chiang Mai to shoot, but there's a lot of good ones. So I like that kind of dark, moody style. So I also like uh, Artisan Cafe, you know, the Baristro, Baristro Hotel on Soy Nine is really nice. It's a lot of good places, huh? Okay, yeah. There's lots of lots of beautiful yeah. places. And I actually, I like that your style is kind of like that darker style mm-hmm. because it seems like most people want that like all white, super brightly lit yeah, style. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that's just because it's easier? <laughs> Where, like, I think the- it is easier. It, it's it's It takes a less of an understanding of light, I think. I'm just not into flat lighting at all. I have to have something. I have to have a, some darkness and shadows in the frame and yeah i would say the the most like overpopulated or o- overpopular uh shop there's one in neiman that's all white that i think they actually have signs up now that say like please stop coming in the here. barista like, hotel yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, so, so that's the same owner of oh, the barista okay. ping river he's my he's my good friend and he's a photographer so he built that cafe for photography and it's amazing i i, I love shooting portraits in there and i love shooting products in there and things like that but the reason they like it is because, you know, in, in, in Thailand, you know, having 
white skin is nice and, and shooting in these white rooms, it just makes you look really good. I mean, it, it does. It looks makes it perfect skin tones. So, I mean, I understand why they like shooting in there. Yeah. And, and you know, you're right. It's set up like literally anybody can, can take the perfect photo just like really quick, easily. Yeah. It's a fantastic place. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Okay. So you hopped on Skillshare. You, you created the first course mm-hmm. and you're like, wow, I can't believe I made 200 bucks this month. Right. How long did it take you to create that first course? Not long. Um, maybe like a couple of days of planning and then, you know, a day of filming and then a week, two weeks of editing. And I was, I had to learn how to edit. I, I didn't know. Oh, how really? To edit. Wow. Yeah. I, I taught everything to myself. I didn't know any of that stuff. That's cool. So. Yeah, congrats um, on that because I've seen your editing. It looks good. Thank you. Yeah, so that was my first course and then it, it did okay. I wasn't like inspired to create another one, but I did a few months later and that one did pretty well. And then my third course, I think it was my third course, my fourth course, it was on Instagram and it exploded. And after that, Skillshare contacted me and they're like, hey, we love your content. We want to make you a top teacher. And a top teacher is basically like one of the top 150 teachers on the platform. Right. So I get special marketing privileges. I get my own person at Skillshare, like that I can talk with and share my, my courses with, etc. So that was really huge for me in, in making it on the platform and kind of getting recognized by Skillshare as a whole. Um, that's incredible. Congratulations for that. Thank you. Yeah. So now I'm, I'm, I'm working really closely with them and I am, um, I will be, um, presenting at like a teacher online teacher virtual conference like next week or something. The cool thing is is Skillshare really supports their teachers. So, I mean, they have a budget for me. Like if I want to throw a party in Chiang Mai, um, in order to kind of help recruit some teachers, they'll throw, they'll throw money at it, man. They'll buy drinks. They'll, they'll do anything. And they're willing to do that because they're investing in their teachers. and, And that's what I love about Skillshare is they really care about us. And I appreciate that, you know, as a creator. So, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I would say Udemy definitely doesn't have the budget for that. No. I, uh, I actually went to their the corporate headquarters once. Really? But actually, no, I, it wasn't because I was a teacher, even though I have some courses on Udemy. I don't make that much money from it. I think on average, I make between 100 to $200 a month maximum. Okay. I think now it's even less because I really don't ever talk about my Udemy courses. Right, right. But... I was an affiliate for Unimi courses, and I was really just pushing one course. It was mm-hmm. David Vu's eBay course, right? Because it's <laughs> a good course. Like yeah. Years ago, yeah. And it's like a good course for anyone that can't afford Anton's course because it's like it's over, I think, over a thousand dollars now. Right. I said, well, you know, if you guys are broke and you guys are just looking for a way to, you know, start an online business, take David's course. Use my link. And Udemy invited me out to their offices because. I was one of their top performing affiliates, oh. not because I was a teacher. You're an affiliate. Yeah. And That's so I did. Yeah. So I brought a lot of people into his course and, but then as a teacher, I don't think I've ever really gotten any, any support at all. Yeah. I guess, I guess it just depends. Like, you know, maybe if you had gotten more popular as a teacher, they would have reached out to you. I'm not, I'm not sure how Udemy works. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I could ask David cause he's, I think still with that course, he's one of the Number one business courses on Udemy. Wow! Still today. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's a different platform. So I I would say I don't know. I I don't know if I would recommend people starting a course on Udemy. But it, Skillshare sounds fun. I think this is one of those kind of long term like I don't want to say call long term play, but I can yeah. see the long term benefits of building up really good quality courses on 
Skillshare versus launching a bunch of kind of cheaper, crappier courses on Udemy. Right. And and also one of the things about Skillshare is it's very easy for your course to get seen on there because it's not super popular yet. So most of my traffic on Skillshare is organic on the platform. I don't market for them very much. And I already have like 8,000 followers on the platform and over, you know, 30,000 students. And that all comes from Skillshare's platform. And I think that's, that's really, really nice because that, that becomes true passive income. True passive. Where right now you can decide to work and create new courses mm-hmm. or you can choose to just take a break and you would still probably get paid very similar. Yeah, the same. I, I didn't work a single day last month. I was traveling to Japan and Bangkok. I was like all over the place. Didn't work at all. I made more money that month on Skillshare than I did the month before. Wow. Okay, so first first course, you made about 200-something bucks. Mm-hmm. Did that kind of continue those next couple of months, or was it just because it was new and, you know? No, it was consistent. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty consistent. And then the second course, how much did you get from that one? So I'm not sure about the exact figures, because after yeah. that, it all kind of got clumped together. Yeah. But, um, like, did your income double, like, when you put out the second course? Did it start going to 400 Oh, it's, yeah. It started yeah. to go up. And then the third course, did it, did it go up by another 200 or? Yeah, so maybe the third or fourth course, I was starting to make, like, over $1,000. Oh, nice. Okay. And I was like, wow, I mean, this is legit, man. Yeah. Like, I just made $1,300. I barely did anything. Okay. And then I was just like, I got I to gotta take this more seriously. And every month I get it, I get my paycheck. And I'm like, holy crap, I'm shocked. Like, yeah. can I ask how much you're getting now? Uh, last month was about seven, seven grand. Wow, congrats! Com- dude. Completely passive. That's amazing, so, right? Yeah, and that's just one of my, you know, one of my income sources. Yeah. So, dude, big congrats! That's a huge difference than <laughs> like when I first met you a few years Thank ago. You. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing. I, I'm just as shocked as you are. But the cool thing about that is that it's passive income and not active income. Mm-hmm. Because I guess if you worked your ass off as a photographer, there's a chance you can make seven grand you know, in a month as well. Yeah, yeah. But that would suck. Yeah. It would be hard, <laughs> a lot of work, a lot of hours. Yeah. And then the next month, you'd be burnt out. Right. You wouldn't be working, and then you make zero. Yeah. Versus with online courses, you can work your butt off for a month building a, a new course, launch it, and then that is a stream of income, possibly for the next you know years, maybe you know maybe something. I don't want to say forever, but for a long, long time coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm just sticking with it, and you're going to c- continue to produce courses on Skillshare. Um, with that said, I also want to expand my current website, and I want to focus on. I want to do some funnels and advertise, so I can sell courses, the same courses on my website, you know, at a higher price. Um, and then also post them on Skillshare where I'm getting the organic Skillshare traffic. Do you get money if you refer someone to Skillshare? Like, like let's say you tell someone, like, buy my Instagram course, mm-hmm. and you give them a link to your Skillshare course. Do you mm-hmm. get credit for that? Only $10. That's it? That's wow. it. Wow. Okay. They have a really crappy affiliate program. It's kind of discouraging. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, maybe that's why they're not that popular yet, because they right. just didn't spend the money to they, put that side marketing. They really should. Um, I know I would be much more inclined to market for them if they had a better affiliate program. I think what they should do that would be really fair is if someone signs up, let's like they should make it so you send someone a direct link that says sign up for my Instagram course. They sign up for your Instagram course. They get access to the whole you know Skillshare mm-hmm. network. 
but because you sent them there for your one course, you should get you know way more than ten dollars. Like yeah. like whatever. I don't I don't know how they would calculate it, but maybe. Even if, like what would be really fair is they could say, okay, we hold it for two months. If they're still a student after two months, you get, you know, X amount or something, right. you know? Yeah, that would like, be fair. Even the full just $30 or something. Like it, like it wouldn't – like it doesn't even have to be something insane, but $10 yeah. is like it's way too low. It's, it's way too low. I wish it was a little bit better. Yeah. I mean, and it's easy for them to calculate. They can figure out what their lifetime value of a customer is mm-hmm. and then give you a part of that, you know? Yeah. I don't know if that's a low number or what. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, but it's also hard because because they're a fifteen dollar flat rate. <laughs> yeah, like it's not not it's cheap. It's so cheap, you know. Like, yeah, it'd be hard for them to be like, okay, here's fifty bucks or hundred right, bucks right. because they might not never make that back, mm-hmm. especially if someone cancels in three or four months. Yeah, so um, I understand that side of things as well. Yeah. yeah, but I guess it's you know I guess it's smart for you to sell your courses off of there. But do you think that people will get pissed off if they find out, or, you know, that they bought the course for, you know, fifty bucks or hundred bucks when they I could mean, just got it? Some people don't want to subscribe to a platform where they're going to get charged every month. So, you know, I I think it would be more valuable for them to do it on Skillshare. But some people just don't want to do that. So I I don't price my courses too high, like forty bucks. So it's not too high. Okay. You know, but I have a lot of them, um, and then I I can upsell my my presets and things like that. So okay, are you allowed? To like upsell like presets or anything within your Skillshare for sure. Okay. Right. Yeah, you can. Okay. And I do. Good. Yeah. Yeah, because I know Udemy has a lot of limitations where they are really, really concerned about keeping the customer. So you never get the customer's email address. Is it the same on Skillshare? I don't think you get their email address, but you can send them all emails. But you can I, send, okay. I can send all twenty five thousand of my students an email. Okay. Through Skillshare. Like individually. Or as a group, like uh, as a group. Okay, I, I think it's, it's the same for uh, Udemy, but they hide, like they don't let you insert like you, your own URLs. They're oh, like that's really super picky. annoying. Yeah, yeah. No, Skillshare, you're free to do whatever, man. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, I'm gonna look into Skillshare because I really like this 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 idea. I really like the platform. Yeah. I really really like it. Yeah. It, not only because it's been you know paying well, but I feel supported as a teacher. Even before I was a top teacher, I felt supported. And the platform is just, it just works. Like, I love that you only pay $15 a month and you get access to everything. There's so much valuable content on there. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, really, it does sound like the Netflix of. It is, for sure. Of course. And I'm a huge believer in online learning as well as kind of the new age of, you know, of university because. I didn't learn that much in school. Yeah. And I and I honestly think I could have learned a lot more if I just took courses out of topics I was actually interested in. 100%. I think the only thing I really am glad I went to college for was like my writing skills and um, presenting and socialization and all that stuff. But in terms of practical skills, yeah, you're right. Like, didn't learn that much. Yeah. It's crazy. And, you know, the thing is, like, for example, when I was learning photography, when I got my camera... I watched a bunch of YouTube tutorials or videos on, you know, how to use my camera, but it was annoying because, because they're free videos on YouTube, you know, people, it like, people don't get to the point. It's not like a classroom where they just like teach you what you want to learn. You know, people are like trying to, they're trying to upsell the other products or they're kind of going around about ways to get more kind of clickbait clicks and more viewership. Well, I feel like if I had just, you know, purchased a course 
uh, either through, you know, even through Udemy or somewhere else, but, or on Skillshare, I would have learned like how, you know, like how to use like my F stops a lot faster than like watching 20 YouTube videos trying yeah. to figure it out. Yeah, that's true. There's some, there's some really good courses there that you can kind of streamline the, the learning process. Yeah. Yeah. So free information isn't necessarily free because a lot of times it's a waste of time. Right. Like, it really is. And there's nothing, there's nothing actually free in the world. Like you, you get what you pay for. So right. whether you're paying with your time, whether you're paying through watching ads, you know, or you that's paying, so true. you know, or you pay $15, just, just sometimes you just got to pay it. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah. So how do you think of what courses to, to build next and what should be in them? So I, I look at kind of my courses now and which ones are doing well, which kind of topic areas. And, um, and then I look at my skill set and I see how I can kind of expand on, maybe expand on those topics or take it from a different approach or something like that. So yesterday I just filmed my, my second course on Instagram. Um, but this one is focusing more on kind of the personal branding side of things and authenticity. Less about like the growth, but more about creating something that you actually care about. So that's a, a little bit of a different approach from my other Instagram course. A lot of the content is the same, but I've kind of framed it in a different way. And I've focused on different things a little bit differently. So, Is the first Instagram course still your most popular course? By far. Okay. There's like 12,000 students. It's amazing. It's growing and super fast. Are there any courses that you put out that just aren't, still aren't doing very well? Um, yeah, like my first one only has like 1,200 but do you think part of that's just the topic where people aren't as interested? It's just the topic. Yeah. yeah, I think I found that the courses that do the best are the ones that appeal to the most people. You know, smartphone photography is another one of my really popular courses. It's like 6,000 students. People have, everyone has a smartphone and they want to know how to take pictures. That one, the Instagram one, basically the courses that appeal to the most amount of people are the ones that do the best. Yeah, I can see that. But I also I can also see that those have the most competition, so you have to have a you have to have an actual really good course. I think so. Especially because people I imagine if a course let's say they clicked your smartphone photography course and you it was low quality, the camera was shaky, the audio was bad, and within two minutes you didn't really engage them, You're they right. would just click on the next one. For sure. But if they go to yours, even though it's a really popular topic I've seen your videos, high quality, you know, good audio, good, you know, it just looks, looks professional. Mm -hmm. I can see people thinking, okay, finally I found someone who I should actually listen to, but I almost guarantee you they clicked five or six other ones before yours. Yeah. Guarantee. I think I try to be really engaging in my courses. You know, I've learned how to be on camera, how to act on camera and I enjoy it. I love being on camera. It's fun for me. So I love, you know, just being having a demeanor that people can kind of attach themselves to and feel comfortable. So yeah, I like it. So w- what's your setup like when you're recording these courses? It really varies. Like yesterday I shot a course, I shot my, my, uh, camera a on my, my big, my nice Sony, my, my second camera, I, I used my iPhone, um, uh, because I didn't have a second camera yesterday. So I just used my iPhone in portrait mode um and then i i it, it varies i have like a zoom h1 which is an audio recorder basic audio recorder sometimes i'll record straight into it um sometimes i'll use a lapel if i'm walking around yesterday uh, i used a boom boom stand uh, from a mic and then i had the mic really close to my face so the audio is great oh. and i'll just do a, a, some basic touch-ups and adobe audition and yeah i like it i think a lot of people will underestimate how important good audio quality is dude it's the biggest thing that people underestimate yeah 
And one really easy way to kind of figure it out is when you when you listen to someone with bad audio, even if the topic is good, it sounds like old, outdated, or cheap, <laughs> low quality information. Yeah. And I know this because one of my favorite YouTubers, uh, it's a car, it's a car review show. It's called the Straight Pipes. For whatever stupid reason, for like three, four episodes in a row, they kept unplugging one of their mics back in it, and then they had to use the the audio from the camera, which is always terrible, especially like an echoey place. And luckily, it was only for a few minutes, like in between. But during those few minutes, even though I can hear them clearly, because you know it was still quiet enough where they kind of boosted the volume. Because it wasn't this like deep, professional, resonating like this, sound like, like this. this creamy audio. Yes, <laughs> you know because it sounded like this and it was kind of tinny. <laughs> yeah, I I was like, oh, these guys are idiots and they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus when they had the real mic in, I was like, okay, yeah, these guys know what they're talking about. They're professionals. It legitimizes it for sure. Yeah, for sure. And that's why I focus so much more on capturing good audio in my most recent courses. It's a learning process. Audio is difficult, but yeah. But people can also start for like for relatively cheap. Right. Like they don't need to go out and spend five grand on equipment, right? No, for sure not. I mean you can get you can get good mics. There's like a there's a Rode USB mic and I think it's like seventy bucks on Amazon. You can plug it it's a USB mic, so you can plug it straight into your your computer and record awesome audio. It's a condenser mic. Yeah. Well these mics that we're using, these are about seventy dollars. These are Audio Technica actually these are the same mic, but they have two model numbers for whatever reason. <laughs> Uh, the one I'm using is the, I think it's the AR2005, and the one you're you're holding is the ATR2100. Right. Um, if you guys want to know, if you guys want to hear all the mics kind of side by side, I actually did a review of every mic I've ever owned, including these, the Blue Yeti. There's a small, cheap one um, called the San, Samsung Go or something. It's really tiny, and I actually used that for my mic. The last two episodes, the two the two I recorded in Bali because I didn't want to carry two big mics, mm-hmm. and they sounded okay. So if you guys heard those episodes and you li- you liked it, you could buy that mic for like thirty or forty bucks. That's great. Um, I have links to it. I'll, I'll yeah, I'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes. But I have a blog post where you can kind of and a video where you can just hear them side by side. Just look look for them on YouTube, Johnny FD microphone or on uh, my blog. But um, yeah, I, I really like idea of creating courses my first online business that I did with my ex my, my girlfriend at the time who was transitioning from being a English teacher to wanting to do an online business was a Udemy course and the topic was something really basic it was called small talk networking and we did that versus her starting an e-commerce store or something more technical just because she had never done anything business right. related or online related so we figured, why not create a course? And to this day, that course still makes us passive income, which is nice. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's anybody can make a course, man. Anybody. And if you're listening to this and you're thinking about it, if you're even thinking about it, you should do it. Because you can. Anybody can. One tip I would give people is for the first course, don't expect too much out of it. Yeah, for right? sure. It doesn't need to be a home run. It's kind of a test. It's kind of a test for you and it's a learning process. Yeah, and I, w- I would almost say for the first course, try to just make it very short and like a small, very like a small course, almost like a like a sliver of. And I th- I think you actually did a good job, even though you know you you're not super proud of your first course and it didn't do that well. I think you did it the right way, where instead of having your first course be you know 
uh, iPhone photography or Instagram, you know, photography, something really, really big. Mm-hmm. You just, you know, took something super niche, like almost like a sliver of the pie and say, right. I'm just going to focus on this first. That's so true because, you know, it wasn't that great, but it was okay. I mean, it wasn't bad. It was, it was fine. It was a good course. I mean, I, I keep saying it was bad. It wasn't. It was a good course. Um, but my, as I went on, I, they just got so much better, you know, yeah. so. Yeah, I like it. And do you think that was part, I mean, was it just kind of going through and reviewing yourself and thinking what I could have done different or were you like constantly learning more and, and both? Did you, did you change equipment or anything? Changed equipment. You know, I improved my knowledge of, of video and audio and, um, and I, and I also just became a better photographer. So it was like, I had more to teach as well. Yeah. So, so did I read on your Facebook that you recently, so you had switched from, you started with the DSLR, like a, what was your, I don't remember what brand I'm shooting on like a Sony a6300, which is like a crop sensor mirrorless camera. Great. So camera. did you start on a mirrorless or did you start on a DSLR? When I was young, I had a DSLR. Okay. Um, and then like for all the years, you know, last couple of years, you had... I've had mirrorless. You had mirrorless. Full time. I, I did have a Canon okay. 5D Mark III that I picked up just for portraits. So I was shooting on a Sony A7R III and a Canon 5D Mark III. These are both pro-level cameras. Mm-hmm. And the difference between them is the Canon has a, is a DSLR, so there's an actual mirror inside. And then the, the, the Sony is mirrorless, right? So there's no mirror. It's more of a modern-day camera. So kind of the differences for, for people who might not know too much about pro cameras... To us, the the real difference is mirrorless is kind of it's it's better for travel, I think, because it's way mm-hmm. lighter. Uh, are they cheaper as well? Maybe. Um, no, they're both the same price. Same price, okay. But the, I think the reason why I chose the, the Sony mirrorless is it was way lighter. Um, it's just smaller. Everything was, like the body was smaller. Mm-hmm. The camera was lighter, and it's kind of like the new newer the tech. new new tech. And the video is way better. Okay. Yeah. But did you recently switch back to DSLRs? I picked up a DSLR just to kind of experiment with it, shoot some portraiture because Canon has amazing colors. I love their color science, um, and I hold on. I held on to that for a few months, and but I, but I ended up selling that, so I'm just back to Sony. And it was just too much carrying around two cameras. Like, yeah, I don't want to deal with that. Yeah, I uh, so I actually have this the same camera that you started with the Sony A6300. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's a great camera. It is my favorite. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, I've actually been meaning to either write a blog post or yeah, probably you know I probably I probably write a blog post about it because it took me a long time to figure out like which camera to get, you know, which price point to get because there's a cheaper one too, the six thousand. Yeah, and I'm not really doing any video on it. So I could have just got the cheaper one, but I think it was kind of actually physically holding the sixty three hundred. And because I have kind of bigger hands, it just kind of felt like more of a real camera. Mm-hmm. And then I was thinking, like, you know, maybe I will do video with it. And, you know, and so now I have, like, a road mic I can attach to it. Um, I have a new lens on it that is kind of like the perfect travel lens where it goes from, I think it goes from 18 to 135. Yeah, that's great. And because I, my, my, my goal is to only ever have one lens. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of downsides to that. And I yeah. know as a... As a pro, if you're working gigs, that's probably not going to cut it. Right. But as a travel photographer, someone who's kind of just enjoying it, mm-hmm. it is so much easier than carrying multiple it is. lenses. It is. I actually regret even buying a second battery. <laughs> it, it like it literally lasts so long, I've never had to change it. Yeah, you didn't even need to. Yeah. So definitely love it. Uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. You can check it out. Uh, if you want to check out your, your courses, how can they find you? 
Um, they can find me, uh, just Google Sean Dalton. I mean, I'm all over yeah. Google. So um, I recommend going, you can go to my website, uh, SeanDalton.com, or you can go to my Instagram, and there's a lot of links there as well. So Okay. I love it. De- definitely follow uh, Sean Dalton on Instagram. Follow Johnny FDK as well. Um, Sean, what, what are your travel plans for the rest of the year? So I, I just got back from Japan. Uh, I was in Japan for three weeks. and You love Japan, don't you? I, I love Japan. I used to live there, so and yeah. I can speak Japanese. So I love it there. How do you say um, welcome to the Travel Like a Boss podcast? <laughs> oh, jeez, man. You put me on the spot. Um, I don't know. My, my brain is not thinking in Japanese right now. I have to like switch. It's like a, it's like a switch. It's like, okay. Yeah. Um, and then like, yeah. So what, what, like where else are you going after this? I'm going to New Zealand in like a week, two weeks, for a week and a half for a wedding and then just for some travel. Okay. So. And then back to Chiang Mai or? And then back to Chiang Mai. I might go to Australia after that. I'm not sure. I don't have a flight back yet. So okay. we'll see. But now that you have this passive income, you can go anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. What, like, what do you think that? you should have started earlier like what like or are you just happy that you you eventually figure it out no i don't think i I should have started earlier i'm happy with the path that i did i got my master's degree in public health and i was i was started out i was working in an ngo here but i had a lot of valuable skills from there i would never take that back so no i'm glad i'm I'm happy where i am i'm doing well i'm I'm still young i'm 26 so i I enjoy where i'm at i'm really proud that you leveled up because I think it's too easy for someone to, you know, end up hating or dreading their their passion or yeah, their hobby because yeah. they have to do it to mm-hmm. get by. And I've seen that, you know, in lots of businesses, not just with photography. Yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to turn into that. And I was losing passion doing certain client work. I'm just not into it. I actually remember at the last Nomad Summit. I don't remember if it was 2018 or the year before that we had you shoot at it was you were super sick that day i think you came like you had a cold or something like you're dying that's right and i felt so bad but it was kind of like last minute where we, we just needed you to shoot anyways yeah but i can i can just tell i'm like this sucks you yeah. know like if you because as a scuba diver like as a dive master in the past if i woke up and i was sick i knew i still had to take these people diving yeah and i can still do a decent job but it wasn't fun for me right like it wasn't like a passion you know and it was completely different than the year before when i think you were still relatively new to chiang mai Mm -hmm. nomads and you're really excited and i could just tell you're just having fun taking photos and then like when you're sick and then it's like the next year it's different you're like okay what you know what's the shot list like let me me get it you know yeah yeah totally that that's true i mean turns into a job and yeah it's less fun yeah. and it's not good for anybody you know it's not good for you it's not good for like the art it's not mm-hmm. good for you know it's not like i mean honestly it's like it's not good for your clients either because you can still take a good photo but then if the passion's not there it kind of loses some of the, that charm you know right. so i think it's uh, it's almost kind of like our obligation in life where we should always pursue what makes us happy right because we end up being better you know better at our craft we lose our authenticity yeah right if we if we don't really love it yeah. yeah. So if you guys are ever, ever at that point where you're dreading what you're doing, you don't like your job, even if it's something that you think you should like because you like, you know, the the passion behind it, realize that as entrepreneurs, we have so much choice and we, we can always pivot and create a business that allows us to have the money and the freedom to be able to do what we really like doing on mm-hmm. our terms. So you're a great example of that. So thank you so much for that, Sean.
Yeah, thank you, Johnny. I appreciate that. Yeah, appreciate you coming on. And um, thanks again to our sponsor for this week, Printful. Uh, if you guys want to be able to custom print uh, products on apparel, mugs, or accessories, even kind of like pillows and stuff, you can check out printful.com. And thanks again for leaving all these great reviews of the podcast on iTunes and everywhere else you listen. Share this with someone that you know who is a photographer or has a service-based business that you think would benefit from sharing their skills with a big audience on Skillshare or creating courses. Uh, or if you know someone who wants to grow their, their Instagram, have them take a listen. We, we share some great, great tips on here. So, Sean, thanks again, buddy. Thank and, you so uh, much, Johnny. Good to be here. How do you say, how do you say goodbye in, uh, uh, in Japanese? Say, sayonara or matane, like see you later. Okay. Matane. Satanoya. Sayonara. <laughs> matane. Matane. Keep traveling like a boss, guys. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.